TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome back. Valentine's Day edition of Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Sending love to you and yours on this special holiday. This hour, we're joined by... Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns. By the way, Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you. As always, Sundays 10 to noon. Mickey, good morning. Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Brenda. Happy Valentine's good. Day. Thank Happy you, Mickey. Happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Now, Mickey, to start things off, it's been, I think, the number two thing talked about in Erie County this week, and that is the speed cameras. We heard you talk to David Bellavia about it. Uh, just give us a little insight to what is going on with these speed cameras. Sure. Uh, these cameras, uh, it's a demonstration project. It started in Albany, and what I said to David is uh, probably some lobbyists lobbying the city, knowing that they're desperate for money at that time, uh, looking for ways to generate revenue on behalf of the city of Buffalo. And, you know, I said it's the truth. These scumbag lobbyists from Albany uh, taking advantage, misleading uh, our elected officials, uh, especially the Buffalo Common Council, they were promised one thing uh, and then something else happened. So basically, people who are uh, going through the city, it was sold to them that this was going to be a safety measure that it was going to protect school children. However, uh, we know now that it's just a revenue generator, and I nicknamed them the scam cams because it's a scam on behalf of the residents of the city of Buffalo Then also uh, the commuters that come into the city of Buffalo in Erie County, and I represent all of Erie County. So from my standpoint, I drafted a letter, sent it to the commissioner of the DMV, because if people do not show up to these hearings, uh, they, they receive a default judgment, and then they could eventually, uh, you know, have their uh, registration pulled in the DMV. And I always say, you know, if you earn uh, a suspension, that's one thing. But because someone uh, got some data and, and was, you know, some, a program that was put and rolled out incorrectly that violates state and federal law, I just don't believe it merits a ticket, and I do believe it's unjust. Mickey, you had mentioned in your press release that you think it disproportionately targets high poverty and minority neighborhoods, uh, these cameras in the school I think we're zone. having just some issues uh, with Brenda's mic. Brenda, sorry, we, we lost you for a second, but you're back. Okay. Uh, Mickey, I was just saying in your release about the scam cam program, as you call it, you mentioned that uh, in school zones, it seems to disproportionately target high poverty 
and minority neighborhoods. Uh, why do you think that's the case? Uh, Mr. Peter Rizzo put out a report, and there was information that was foiled uh, by the city of Buffalo. So there was data. Uh, we used the data that the city of Buffalo provided through the FOIL process. And I, uh, just adjacent to my street, I have a camera. One of the things that was really uh, unconscionable that some of our poorest census tracts in the city of Buffalo where people were making a median uh, income of approximately $13,000 in the university district, uh, they were being penalized and they were being ticketed at a, a really high rate. And we've seen this week that uh, there was a lawsuit that was commenced in this action so this is data. This is something, uh, this isn't just I'm against something. We're looking at the data, and the data is driving the results that it's an unfair and an unjust law. And in addition to that, uh, it's not complying with federal and state standards. And there are other things, Brenda, that we can do to mitigate this and to calm traffic and to keep our students safe. We want to keep our students safe. Nobody's against that. But as you can see, this is a poorly rolled out program. And I think at the time, there was an idea that it was going to be a revenue generator. Uh, but we know now that it's just a misguided uh, plan that came from Albany, New York. The DMV commissioner uh, is somebody that you reached out to about that. Have you uh, gotten any response from the commission? We did reach out to the commissioner's office to make sure that uh, he has received the letter. They have uh, said that they are reviewing the letter, and that's the last that we've heard. Mickey, we also know about the zombie properties that uh, we've been talking to you about, and you're st you have a new campaign, Stay in Your Home, uh, with the foreclosures that are, are uh, expected with COVID-19. Give us a little information on that. Sure. So normally in the clerk's office, that's where the foreclosure begins. We've talked about that in the past. It's called a Liz Pendant. And normally we get about between 2,500 and 3,000 foreclosures each year. Uh, because of the governor's executive orders and the stay on many of the foreclosures, uh, this year we had approximately uh, 400. And you would say, well, that's a good thing. Uh, but what we're finding is, is that, you know, many people, because of the forbearance, uh, many of those foreclosures haven't been filed yet. And the thing that concerns us is that we want to make, make sure people have the correct information by state law if they're behind on their loan and if they're behind on their taxes, they can stay in their home. And what we are doing is we're trying to work with the banks. We're trying to work with the service providers to find solutions to these problems so we can give people that proper information. There's many good things that were put in place. This, one, this is one good thing that did come out of Albany when I was there, my colleagues and I, uh, the Foreclosure Relief Act. Uh, there are um, uh, conferences. There are things that can help people this process but the one thing what we've been saying to people is you have to ask for help so uh, with the erie county clerks task force we put together a consortium of partners uh, the buffalo urban league uh, belmont uh, housing experts to help you in the west new york law center uh, if you have an issue and if you have a problem uh, we want to make sure that you could uh, get some help don't just ignore the problem uh, go to the experts and we can help you through this process Mickey, I know another initiative that's uh, near and dear to your heart is keeping uh, employees and the public at large safe uh, at the Erie County Auto Bureau. What sort of uh, reopening measures are you taking to protect people and your staff? I'm very proud of my staff. As you know, under the governor's executive order, the uh, auto bureaus were closed for approximately a month and a half. 
we were very concerned because we lose approximately $2 million of revenue uh, each month that we're closed. However, we wanted to make sure that our customers would be safe and that our uh, workers, our frontline workers who are out there would be safe. We went to curbside service, like we talked about on this show, uh, but we have made sure that we've worked with the unions. We provided them the proper equipment, uh, the glass, making sure that there's uh, the plexiglass separating the customer. Uh, we're going to be opening up a new facility uh, at the Eastern Hills Mall to create social distancing for our customers. We're planning, we're doing a, uh, a resizing, a right-sizing of our office, and we're planning ahead 10 years when it comes to the auto bureaus. We know that with technology, that it's going to be uh, a technology-driven um, transaction in the future. So between COVID and technology, we're planning for the future, and we're excited about it. Uh, we've combined departments. Um, these are all things you're going to have to do. And the one thing I'm most proud of, and, and the frontline workers, our workers should be commended, and they will be recognized, is that prior to the pandemic, we were anticipating a $7.5 million surplus, which is good for Erie County residents, keeps taxes down. We're anticipating nearly a $10 million surplus. So even though we had a pandemic, uh, we think we're going to generate an additional 2 to $2.5 million more. That will be a positive uh, thing for taxpayers. So we're excited. We want to keep our frontline workers safe, and we want to keep our employees safe also. Mickey, what about the extension for driver licenses and permits? Now, uh, that's a time-sensitive extension, right? Yes. So right now, if you have a registration or an inspection uh, under the governor's executive law, those need to be done. Uh, There's no extension on that. But the governor, once again, has extended the driver's license to uh, February 26th. And that's a, you know, that's a fluid thing. Uh, when that comes, it can be extended again. But in addition to that, I've received uh, many people reaching out about the real ID. That has been extended to October 2021. And hopefully um, with the vaccinations uh, and other outreaches, we'll be able to get out and, and get back to those senior centers and given the seniors and our, and our most vulnerable the proper information to help them. You can always call my office at 858-6985. We have a program that if you cannot make an appointment because you need an appointment to come into the auto bureau and you have to wear a mask, uh, you can call my office and we can help you make an appointment. We are, I think, the only county in the state of New York that has same-day appointments, uh, and I'm very proud of our staff for working very hard towards that. Speaking of the uh, auto bureau and having to make an appointment, uh, has there been a complaint of not enough appointments? Has there been an issue people getting in on a timely basis? We're, I mean, unfortunately, there's uh, counties that are behind maybe a month and a half, two months. We're same day. So, you know, of course, Joe, I talked about technology. We want to uh, update our, our appointment system. Uh, I think most people are coming in and they're having a very pleasant experience. Remember, if you're ready, we're going to be doing some things to get people ready. And you have a reservation, you're going to come in and you're going to get in and out very, very quickly. Uh, I believe in the future, the days of walking into an auto bureau are probably over with, not because of COVID, because we see the efficiency of people coming in and getting proper service, just like a doctor's appointment. You come in, um, you know, I think we're faster than some doctor appointments, but you come in and you you have your appointment, you you sit down, and literally we're getting in and out in 15 minutes. It's unheard of, and we're just hearing so many positive reactions of don't go back to the old days. So I think in the future – that's where we're going with technology. 
where we're going to have a better appointment system. We'll be able to text people uh, when to come into the facility, and I think uh, people are going to be very pleased. And that's that's a, a progressive, text-driven, uh, technology-driven uh, um, initiative that the customers have been telling me that they want. So we're going to do that, and we're going to continue to update our system to please because we're in competition with the state of New York. Remember, we're an agent of the state. So we'll continue to improve our services and help our customers. All right, I'm going to ask you a question about the future and then a question about a clarification on the present. But for the future, so with the dependence on, you know, the Internet, and let's be honest, you can do more on the Internet now, the stuff that you used to have to wait at the DMV for. Do you think in, a, in five, ten years we're going to see less DMV offices? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. I, I do think so. But here's the thing, Joe, that uh, is, is so predictable, being a former uh, Albany employee, uh, I always tell people, yes, you can go online, you can do your transaction online, but once it goes to the black hole in Albany, um, there's not someone there to talk to. There's not someone there to, to give you that personal service. I, I guess the best analogy I can use is the banks. Remember the banks went uh, online and said, you know, we're going to close the brick-and-mortar facilities. Now you're seeing more banks opening up more uh, brick-and-mortar facilities. And it's a hybrid, um, I think it's a hybrid uh, type of uh, business plan that you're going to have uh, online services. The state precludes us from doing certain things online, but we're going to go forward. We have to do it. We've been working with people uh, to make things cut, uh, easier. But, yes, I do think that in the future uh, we're, we're looking to do that. We will probably shut down one facility in the future uh, under my tenure. It's going to have to be done. It will be a cost-saving measure. I'm doing it to be proactive. But, yes, I, I do think we'll have less facilities. All right. And just a clarification on where things stand. Um, when we're talking about inspection stickers, registration stickers, are those still extended or do people need to go get those updated? Yes, you have to get that. It, you know, if you're pulled over, um, there's no excuse. You have to get that uh, inspection and registration. And most 99% of the shops are open. Um, matter of fact, I'm going to get my inspection done tomorrow. So, you know, you have to get it done. So it, it's, it's, a, it's mandatory. The, the license is something different. The governor, through the executive order, have given people. And remember, you know, that is going to stop someday, too. You know, and then we're going to have to be able to handle all those things. So for me, if you want to come in and make an appointment, uh, many people are just waiting, you know, thousands of people that are waiting, saying, well, I don't want to give Erie County and New York State my money. Eventually, uh, it's it's going to be required. And, and for the few people, which I don't know who doesn't have an easy pass now, but for the few who don't, because I've seen some complaints on our text board uh, in the past, uh, how long do you have once you get that bill from New York State to pay that toll by mail before the price goes up? Yeah, you can get you can come into any of our facilities. Uh, you can come downtown to 92 Franklin, and you could pay that uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, you don't want to. Uh, not have an easy pass because once again, why would you want to give Albany uh, extra revenue uh, out of your pocket? So if you come in, we can help you with that easy pass. Uh, I know many people are, are doing that transaction. And if you want, once again, you can call my office, 858-6985. We'll get you in, in and out quickly. You don't have to wait uh, in line in the sense of just make a quick appointment and we'll will help you through that. So it's just, it, it's, that's another disaster that you're going to be dealing with trying to get a hold of someone on the phone if you had a problem uh, with your easy pass. So it's just best 
to get that instead of being charged that revenue. Nikki, uh, Joe, and, and you were talking about uh, in the future, perhaps uh, three, five, ten years down the road, uh, about doing so much online. But what would happen for somebody who needs an eye test when they're renewing their license? Well, what we're seeing with New York State is it's sort of a cheapening of a license, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, we're seeing that we're now, uh, I'm hesitant because they're allowing people to do the permit test uh, in person uh, online. And uh, of course, you know, there's always the possibility for fraud. And we, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the license is a very important document. But, you know, um, when you talk about the eye test, you can go, uh, come into our facilities. We'll do that for free. Uh, we'll give you an eye test. There's no cost for that. But some people uh, do go to private facilities. There are partners with the state of New York that you can go in and get your eye test. And then once you send that information in, um, you know, we'll get phone calls and said, I have not received my license. I have not received what's going on. And once again, I, I, I encourage people. I said, you know, you should have probably made an appointment and come to see us because, yes, it, it appears to be easier to do it online. And everything goes great. And if that happens, you know, you know, hooray. However, when there's an issue and when there's a problem with Albany, um, people are coming to us, and we see that with our dealers that we work with. And, um, you know, it's best to probably come in. And finally, the revenue, that transaction, we get 12.75%. That stays in Erie County. That's an important revenue stream. I mentioned the money that was going to be coming into the Erie County budget which is really important to keep taxes low, to pave uh, roads, to make sure our departments are staffed, all those important things that are important when you come. So it's not only uh, doing the transaction, it's making sure that your money stays in your account. Uh, and Mickey, before we wrap, I wanted to touch upon the pistol permit department. Uh, that Some of the uh, information that people need, whether it's uh, replacement of lost or stolen permits or registering, deleting, transfers of a firearm, new applications. That can be done online to some degree as well, right? Well, we, do, we have a mail-in process. So here's where the pandemic sort of once again has uh, forced us to re-engineer departments. We normally get uh, approximately 2,200 applications this, each year. This year in 2020, that's our last year, we received about uh, 7,500 applications. That's unprecedented. So what I've done is uh, I've combined two departments. Uh, we lost staffing in the budget reduction plan. Our office lost about $1.5 million. We lost vacancies to fill in these departments. So what we say to people is um, you can go online to erie.gov slash clerk, go to the pistol section, there's instructions there, and uh, you can mail that information in. We uh, had satellites, but with uh, COVID, uh, we have closed the satellites at this time. And um, I'm going to be announcing a new initiative. We talked about technology where right now you have to come in uh, or mail it in to add a firearm. Uh, in the future, what we're going to do is we are going to work with some of our dealers. And instead of coming in, uh, you'll be able to um, get the firearm, purchase the firearm, and right away you'll have access to that firearm. Uh, you know, we'll have a dealer portal. I think we'll be the first county in New York State to be doing this. And I think we're, we're doing the best that we can. And I, I want to thank, you know, the Second Amendment community. I want to thank Erie County Sheriff Howard, who's provided the staffing. Prior to the pandemic, we were caught up. That means 
the turnaround for a pistol permit, which used to be approximately 15 to 18 months, was literally uh, eight weeks to 10 weeks, which is unprecedented. So we're getting to that point. The turnaround is good. But with over 7,500 applications, it's definitely uh, something that we're working on. And, and like I said, because of that, we've merged departments, we've merged staffing, and we're going to continue, and I'll continue, to run the clerk's office like a business to give the taxpayers the best possible service I can. Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns. Thank you, Mickey, for joining us this morning. Joe and I appreciate it. No, thank you, thank you. And don't forget uh, February's Black History Month. And uh, we want to remember our great leaders like Martin Luther King. He had a great quote, procrastination is a thief of time, less violence, more peace. Thank you so much. Good words to end on. That's uh, Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns. Coming up after the news with Neil McManus, we'll talk with Vic Martucci from Massiello and Martucci and Associates about the impeachment uh, trial. And we look forward to your calls, too. Line them up right now if you'd like at 803-0930. Much more to come on Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medella, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to Hardline, and uh, we have time for your calls and questions, too, as we talk the impeachment trial of former President Donald John Trump, and Vic Martucci is joining us. Vic is a political strategist with Massiello and Martucci and Associates here in Buffalo. Vic, good morning. Good morning, Brenda. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for taking the time to join us, and boy, uh, never a dull moment in Washington or in Albany, I suppose. Uh, uh, Vic, the... um, the impeachment trial certainly took center stage for many people this past week. And Mitch McConnell, when I heard his comments, I thought for sure he was going to vote for conviction. But even though he called Trump morally uh, responsible for this and that he said that there was practical responsibility for what happened on January 6th as it related to the president, he then decided to acquit. So what was your take on McConnell's role in this? Yeah, so um, the uh, the impeachment process um, hinged on on three issues. 
First is, is jurisdiction, and and that is why Mitch McConnell uh, voted to acquit. Um, jurisdiction being, does the United States Senate have the constitutional power um, to hold a an impeachment trial of a private citizen? Um, because when the when the uh, the trial began, Donald Trump was a private citizen, and and when you look at the Constitution. With respect to impeachment, our, uh, Section 4 of Article 2 of the Constitution um, simply states, the President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other crimes and misdemeanors. So clearly the Constitution says that um, the result of conviction of impeachment is removal from office, and Donald Trump had had already left office, so that's that's the argument on the side of of the Senate not having jurisdiction. Um, now there are constitutional scholars that have said that um, that because the House voted to impeach when um, Trump was still in office, that in fact the Senate had the constitutional authority to hold a trial and convict um, on impeachment. So that's the first issue is jurisdiction. Then the second issue is um, did in fact the uh, did, did, did in fact the House managers prove its case that um, on the articles of impeachment that Donald Trump in fact incited an insurrection that resulted in the storming of the Capitol, and and baked in that whole argument is whether or not um, Trump's speech on the ellipse the day of the storming of the Capitol uh, was protected by the First Amendment and free speech. So there, there were a lot of um, conflicting um, points of view. The Constitution is not clear um, as to whether or not the um, a, 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 a former president could be tried for impeachment. Um, there are those that, that um, refer to precedent. And that precedent was the um, impeachment of Secretary of War William Belknap back in the 1870s. Um, and he was, in fact, impeached after he resigned from office. Um, but he was not convicted in the Senate. And the reason he was not convicted in the Senate was for the same reason that many Republican senators voted against um, conviction uh, this time around, and that was that they they didn't believe that they had jurisdiction because Belknap was was no longer holding office, um, and um, a more recent precedent could be uh, Richard Nixon and Watergate. Um, Richard Nixon resigned, and Congress made the decision not to pursue impeachment because, in fact, by the act of resigning. Um, uh, impeachment was no longer a, a, a moot point because uh, he had already left office and impeachment is a process to remove from office. So there's, there's no consensus among constitutional scholars as to whether or not the Senate had jurisdiction. Um, and um, so it's, it's perfectly legitimate to understand both points of view, why senators voted to convict and why senators voted to acquit. Vic, uh, Mitch McConnell publicly said uh, that he watched happily, meaning Donald Trump, on television as the chaos unfolded. And 
he ended up voting to acquit. So Donald Trump is two for two with impeachment acquittals. Does that speak more to the power that McConnell has over the other Republicans? Or do you think it was his way of rebuking Trump, but at the same time, not convicting him? Like he's sort of walking the line here. Well, I'm not sure that he was walking a line, because if if you read the full statement that um, Mitch McConnell made on the floor of the Senate, he very clearly states that um, Donald Trump is not immune from prosecution, um, both civilly and criminally, for his, uh, his role in the, in the storming of the Capitol. And, and so McConnell, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, says that he voted to acquit because he didn't believe that the Senate had jurisdiction on the matter because Donald Trump is no longer president of the United States. And in fact, there is an active FBI investigation going on right now into the role of of not only um, those that stormed the Capitol, but that active FBI investigation will determine whether or not Donald Trump um, conspired with those that stormed the Capitol. And in Georgia, there's an active investigation um, on conspiracy to commit election fraud. And with that famous uh, phone call that Donald Trump made to the Secretary of State, where he stated that I just need to find 11,000 votes. Um, So he's not out of the woods um, in terms of, of prosecution. If found guilty in any of those um, cases, what are the consequences for the now private citizen, Donald Trump? Well, it depends on what he's convicted of. Um, And I'm not a lawyer, but um, uh, I I don't foresee him uh, serving jail time. But if you're convicted of a felony in this country, you can no longer hold public office. Um, So that would, in fact, prevent him from running for public office again. And... Um, as the Democrats point out in their articles of impeachment, Section 3 of uh, the 14th Amendment of the Constitution specifically um, prescribes that uh, uh, those that have been convicted um, of, of, uh, of insurrection and treason against the United States cannot hold public office. And so, um, and by the way, uh, there are many constitutional scholars that believe that um, Congress could, under uh, uh, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, um, pursue the avenue of prohibiting Donald Trump from ever holding public office again. And that would require a simple majority, not a, not a two-thirds vote in, in the United States Senate. So along those lines, what is next for Donald Trump politically. Uh, It seems like he still has his base, um, his base of supporters, the 75 million that voted for him. What do you think is next for Donald Trump in the role of politics? And what's next for the Republican Party? Well, those are hopefully two separate issues. Um, Donald Trump made it very clear last night in his statement after acquittal uh, that he's not going away. In fact, um, he uh, he made the statement uh, uh, that he will uh, have more to say in the coming weeks, but that the movement that uh, he began in 2016 has only just begun. So his plan is not to go away. And if you recall, and we've discussed this um, before on this show, uh, he raised over $300 million after the election. 
um, raised $300 million um, uh, saying that he was going to use those funds to un- un- uncover all the fraud that had, <laughs> had taken place during the election and overturn the results of the election. Well, the reality is, is that he spent very little of that money um, trying to overturn the result of the election. So he's sitting on a significant amount of money that he could use um, to uh, influence the outcome of future elections at the House level, at the United States Senate level. And um, uh, who knows, he he may decide to run for president of the United States again uh, in 2024. We're talking with Vic Martucci from Mazziello and Martucci and Associates. And Vic, one of the more interesting figures to emerge from this whole situation and within the last four years for me is Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, The former vice president was uh, a very good soldier, I thought, uh, and really worked closely and in lockstep with Donald Trump. And then I can't get that image out of my mind of of, uh, Pence being you know, walked very quickly away and out of danger when the attack happened on January 6th and that moment when he looked back. And I I often wonder, what was he thinking? Uh, And his family was with him. It had to be a a very anxious moment for him. Uh, And then he showed up at the inauguration of Joe Biden. So my question to you is, what do you think will come of former Vice President Mike Pence? Does he have a role in the Republican Party? Um, I, I... I don't know, uh, it, because it's complicated. Um, as, as you said, he was a loyal soldier as vice president um, to, to Donald Trump. Um, but in, at the end, when it was clear that um, Donald Trump's actions and behavior and words were undermining the peaceful uh, transition of power um, that has been the historic norm in this country, um, he separated himself from the president um, and did what he believed was right uh, to protect the Constitution and protect the, the, uh, the norm of a peaceful transition of power. And so he went in the eyes of, of Trump supporters of, uh, from being a, a loyal supporter to um, uh, a turncoat. Um, and in fact, uh, Donald Trump called him a coward as the uh, as the rioters were storming the Capitol, um, it, it just incredibly offensive words uh, for Donald Trump to utter as the vice president of the United States and 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 his family um, were were uh, placed in, in in harm's way in danger as they were storming the Capitol. So uh, there's so many layers to this, and and and. Um, uh, it, it, it's it, it's unprecedented in the history of this country. Vic, if you were advising uh, Pence, would you tell him to go form his own, uh, you know, I guess his own model for the Republican Party and discount what uh, Donald Trump did? I mean, if I were Pence, I can't imagine that I could ever be loyal to Trump again after what happened. How would you advise him to move forward? And also, how would you advise Donald Trump if, in fact, he wanted to get back into the public arena? Well, um, with, respect to, with respect to Vice President Pence or former Vice President Pence, um, I would think uh, that he would want to play some role, um, whether it's behind the scenes or a public role, um, in rebuilding the, uh, the Republican Party um, post-Donald Trump. Um, there's no question that, in my mind 
that the Republican Party needs leadership um, that's going to reestablish the party uh, based on the principles of, uh, on which it, it was founded. Um, and, and I think it needs to separate itself from Donald Trump. Um, if I were advising Donald Trump, I guess I, I guess I probably wouldn't be advising Donald Trump because um, he wouldn't want me advising him. <laughs> um, but uh, my advice to him would be to um, uh, go back to, to private life. Um, I suspect he is going to have many legal challenges um, in the future uh, based on, on the FBI investigation, on the storming of the Capitol, based on the investigation in Georgia on, on, on potential charges of conspiracy to commit election fraud. Um, I, I think for the sake of, of, of Trump and his family, um, I think it's in his best interest to uh, uh, quietly retire from public life. Will he do that? I don't think that's who Donald Trump is. Um, and that is what's going to complicate things for the Republican Party going forward, because as you mentioned earlier, um, Donald Trump received more votes for President of the United States in 2020 than any candidate in the history of this country not named Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden is the only one to surpass it. He received 75 million votes. Looking ahead to the future of the Republican Party, and, and, and I would say in, in, in general in both parties, both the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, um, we need to move beyond these base elections where um, the base of both parties are, are, are who comes out and votes in primary elections and, and, and gives us, um, in, in many cases, um, an undesirable choice for the highest office in the land, President of the United States. Um, and to me, the only way you're going to solve that is within both parties to encourage greater voter turnout and participation in those primaries. More, the more people that vote, the less likely it is that you're going to have extreme candidates in either party running on the uh, winning the party's nominations and i i think that has to be the future and you know when you look at the result of the election um in 2020 uh voter turnout was was at an all-time high and and so can it be done absolutely it can be done and i think that's probably the best way to encourage um the process going forward but looking before 2024 to 2022, the midterm elections, you still have Donald Trump, who's very popular uh, amongst most Republicans. What is the strategy for those that are trying to win in Senate and Congress with Donald Trump still, I would guess, hanging over the party in a year and a half? Well, former House Speaker Tip O'Neill once famously said, all politics is local when it, when it comes to um, – the House of Representatives. And I think that has to be the strategy for Republican candidates. Um, if Republican candidates want to separate themselves um, from Donald Trump, they need to focus on issues that are important to um, their constituents. And I think they can do that. Um, and, and, and they need to resist the temptation to nationalize local elections and, and, and bringing Trump into, into the equation. Um, now, 
if I were advising Democrat candidates running against those Republicans, I'd want to nationalize the election, and I'd and I'd want to raise the prospect of Donald Trump. Uh, so it's it, it it's not easy, um, but the Republicans have history on their side. Um, historically, the party that is not in the White House in the first midterm elections of of of, of the president, um, that party typically picks up ten to fifteen seats in the House. Right now, the House majority, I believe, is six votes. It was nine votes after um, New York 22 was declared uh, for the Republican candidate, Claudia Tenney. Um, but I believe there's as many as three and maybe even four Democrat House members that are leaving the House uh, to serve in the Biden administration. So that means that that majority is five or six votes. And um, uh, if history uh, proves to be um, consistent um, and the Republicans pick up uh, 10 to 15 seats, they'll be back in the majority. Uh, So they have history on their side, and they need to make sure that they focus on local issues that are important to their constituents and and adhere to the the Tip O'Neill adage of all politics is local. Isn't that something, Vic, after all these years, Tip O'Neill's words still ring true. Um, We've got about a minute left, and one of our text questions on the uh, Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board asks what you're talking about exactly. What role will the uh, anti-Trump Republicans like Crenshaw, Kinzinger, Cheney have in the future of the party? Um, In particular, I'd be interested in knowing what you think of Liz Cheney's future. Well, look at Liz Liz Cheney. uh, There was a a direct... um, effort to strip her of a leadership position and the republican caucus um, voted to keep her in her in her leadership position so while there while there are some that are upset with her um, and those are the loyalist of of trump supporters that are members of the republican conference in the house of representatives there weren't enough of them to throw her out of her leadership position uh, that was not an easy thing for her to do um, it was a courageous thing for her to do because she she voted her convictions. Um, and um, in the end, in this country, if we if we can't allow our elected officials the space to vote their conscience, vote their convictions, um, then we're on a we're on a real slippery slope. Vic, we're going to have to leave it there. As always, we appreciate your participation in the show. Vic Martucci, Martucci, Massiello and Associates. Thanks so much. And I think I gave you a top billing there. Joe, always a pleasure. Uh, enjoy the uh, the weekend and stay safe and warm. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. We will talk to you next week here on Hardline.